Looks right, throws a deep pass, right side, end zone, hits off, it's a touchdown! And the Cardinals continue to pour it on. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by the Arizona Cardinals mobile app. Visit azcardinals.com slash app. Touchdown, Arizona! The latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team. Great move to the right at the 50. Cuts back to the left at the 40. He's loose at the 30. He's at the 20. The 10. Touchdown, Cardinals! Rise up and make a play. And what a hit! Oh, my goodness! He got crushed. You've got to be kidding me. Come off the ball with malice. Here's Paul Calvisi. Here in 2020, gentlemen, Positional flexibility is at an all-time premium. Is it not? Darren, we're on the road, right? And and I'm playing radio engineer, not doing yeah. a very good job. The great Walt Ellis has dumbed it down that even I can figure it out. He's idiot-proofed it to such a level. And then, Kyle, I couldn't help but notice when Kelvin Beecham was talking about how when he goes home, usually Wednesdays and Thursdays, and goes from being a starting right tackle in the NFL to being a dad slash teaching assistant, that not only is he helping with math and science and social studies, but what really grabbed me, did you guys catch this during the Kelvin Beecham uh, Zoom press conference, was he has a child in kindergarten, kindergarten, and helping out with science, math, and social studies. So that was sort of a check me moment here at Casa Calvisi and Cardinals Underground. Um, Maybe we need to accelerate the schooling around here with my eighth grader and fifth grader because the kindergartners are already into those topics. I mean, Darren, your wife's a teacher. Uh, not to get yeah. too far off topic, but once again, everybody is doing something other than their position that they're being paid for. And Kelvin Beecham is being a teacher to a kindergartner in some pretty serious subjects. I thank God every day, Paul, that my kids are old enough that they're in college and I don't have to worry about that stuff. Every day. Thank you. Thank you. That's uh, yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, I have become an algebra and geometry teacher uh, so far this fall. I, I will say that much. But even I can do the math. And believe me, eighth grade is pretty much beyond my capabilities. Hashtag no math. <laughs> even I can do the math and see that the Arizona Cardinals, Kyle, held the opponent to one of seven on third down in the first half, four of 13 on the game, fourth down 0 of two of all the numbers because you are the numbers guy. What did you enjoy the most out of that Cardinals win at the New York Jets? 30 to 10, the most important number. Yeah, I mean, I think the, uh, those defensive numbers are, are very important in a game-to-game type situation because if you do well in situational football, you're going to have a good chance to win the game. But you know me, I'm all about predictive type numbers and the stuff that you can use moving forward. So my favorite number was Kyler Murray's 10.3 yards per pass attempt, which was a huge increase from Carolina when it was 4.3. So you're talking about numbers where it's like a a backup quarterback type thing is 4.3. An MVP is 10.3. And Kyler Murray did that in back-to-back weeks. Which one is he closer to? I feel like this offensive passing game started to get it rolling. And I do think they have the capability to be more of that explosive juggernaut type offensive passing unit than we saw against Carolina. So I think to me, that was the most important. I think they have a lot of pieces on this team, but they're going to go as far as this passing game takes them and and doing what they did against the Jets was very encouraging. There's no doubt it was more vertical than horizontal, especially as opposed to the week prior against Carolina. Do you think that was organic, Darren, or do you think that was by design? Uh, My guess is there was a little bit of by design there. I mean, Look, I know that 
Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray, and they're, they're just, there was a, they're, they, they got a little bit, I think, upset with some of the questioning after a while the previous week. But, I mean, they saw the same things uh, that we all did. And, and Carolina did do a nice job sideline to sideline and taking care of stuff. Um, but it felt like in the New York game, uh, anything that was horizontal to the line of scrimmage, there was, I want to say there was one or two screens, but mostly uh, the ones that went horizontal felt like, uh, check down passes after you look down the field. And, I, and, I, and that makes a lot of sense to me. Now, the Jets are the Jets. They don't have much of a pass rush. They did look like they were trying to be very careful about Kyler Murray running. So uh, there might not have been as, as aggressive as a pass rush as normally comes. But let's also look at it this way, guys. I mean, it's not like Dallas is, is coming out there with a defense that is scaring a lot of people. They might have a little bit better of a pass rush. Um, but they're a team that can be had in the air and potentially through Kyler's legs. So uh, I'm bullish on the fact that at least for this week, they can keep it going. And, and I agree with Kyle. This is a situation where this team needs to excel throwing the ball. That's why you have uh, a number one overall pick in a quarterback. That's why you went out and traded for DeAndre Hopkins. That's why you built the skill position players that you did. Um, and let's face it without, potentially Chandler Jones here, you're also in a position where you're probably going to need to boost the defense with your offensive play more than we already thought you were going to have to. I mean, dare I say that at New York, the Cardinals found their identity on offense. This season-long search for their identity. Now, was it flawless? Absolutely not. Kyler forced the ball into Larry, doubled, maybe triple coverage. There was the turnover, drive-killing penalties. There's a lot to work on, as a number of players have detailed, and, and the head coach. But when you had nine different receivers involved, and to Kyle's point, it's more than 10 yards per pass completion, and you had a pretty effective run game. Chase Edmonds, a 29-yard scamper on third and one. Towards the end of the game, you saw, at least to me, a Kenyon Drake we saw all of last year getting really vertical and getting aggressive, making one cut and going north and south instead of lateral. To me, Kyle, I think we saw the beginnings of an identity on offense. Is that going a little too far, you think? I mean, it, it, was, it was nice because every single thing you did worked. And I don't know if you can count on that against personnel that's going to get tougher as the season moves on. My most encouraging thing was Kyler Murray looked very comfortable in the pocket. And like Darren said, like the Jets at times purposely did not rush their, their interior defenders because they didn't want him to scoot out and run. So it was two guys rushing against five guys blocking and they wouldn't get close. Uh, so Kyler Murray's time to throw was around 2.9 seconds, which is a lot longer than most games. And he, he, he wasn't looking to get out of the pocket, but that was so pronounced that I wonder if he's going to see that anymore this season. I feel like teams are saying, okay, we're going to have to rush him because he did show he can do it. Um, but the fact that if they can have that type of rhythm with Kyler Murray in the pocket, then I think you're right. This is, this is kind of the identity where if we can do it vertically in on schedule throws, then that really opens up everything for the Cardinals offensively because then teams are going to have to be worried about the pass and you can run more and you can do the horizontal stuff because there's going to be two safeties deep. And there's just a lot of things that work if your on schedule passing game is going well and, that's what, that's what I'm looking forward to in these next few weeks. If, if Kyler Murray can continue to do that, I do think we're going to see some pretty potent explosive numbers. 
But to Darren's point, are, are we sure the Jets' defense isn't better than the Cowboys' defense? Are we sure the Jets' defense isn't better than the Seahawks' defense? Honestly, I, have you seen some of the numbers, Yeah, especially the Cowboys this week? Well, the Cowboys will be interesting. I, I think the Seahawks, and I know we'll get into this next week, the Seahawks will be in a little bit different a position when they get Jamal Adams back. And the last thing I saw was that Adams was supposed to be back. His first game back would be the Cardinals game, unfortunately. So – I think that would change some things a little bit. But uh, when it comes to the Cowboys, I mean, yeah, they've struggled mightily. And, you know, can you take advantage of that? Uh, you have to. Uh, you know, again, I, the, the way we've gone through this season, Paul, I feel like in a lot of ways, whether it's, you know, talking about what the offense needs to do or the opponents that they've had or whatever it might be, I feel like the, the thing that really has – come out of it which is probably not a whole lot different than other seasons is you better take advantage of things you need to take advantage of and we talked early on it was okay you're playing the Lions at home you need to win that game you didn't you're playing a, a a middling Panthers team with a first year head coach and you came out super flat now the Panthers have turned out to be a little bit better than I think a lot of people expected and that's cool and that's fine um, but still that you should have had a better showing even if you weren't going to win that game um, and so now with the Cowboys, you're playing a team without their starting quarterback. Yes, they've got Andy Dalton, who's got a ton of experience and, you know, isn't that far removed from playing, but also isn't that far removed from losing to the Cardinals last year either. Um, and, you know, you're playing a defense that isn't very good and you're playing a team that could might want to rely on its running back against a defense of yours that has been not great against the run even against the Jets there were moments so you know again you need to take advantage of what you can and if, if the Dallas defense is going to be weak which it probably is given injuries and all their other uh, issues you better come up with a nice performance and we'll, we'll see what happens one lasting lesson that I'm hopeful, if not borderline confident, the Cardinals have learned so far is the old BYOE lesson, bring your own energy. And Devondre Campbell kept coming back to that this week in meeting with the media. I have no idea how they're going to play against the Cowboys and going forward. I have no idea how many more games they're going to win or lose. But you know what? You can control your energy. And it is critical. I mean, Darren, that Jet Stadium was absolutely dead. There wasn't a single fan in the stands. You know, we were up in the mezzanine level in a luxury suite, and you could hear when Jordan Hicks was yelling after that third and one stop where he cut off Le'Veon Bell at the sideline. You could hear him yell. You could hear Patrick Peter Peterson beat his chest and scream out at me. You have to bring your own energy. Well, honestly, Paul, the Jets situation was even weirder because for whatever reason, they decided to completely silence whatever they were piping into the stadium at whatever point, if there was an injury, if there was a timeout. It just, it was like, oh, we're going to break and we're just going to turn it all off. And that's when it got really weird. I mean, the number of times that they had, there was a change of possession and they turned everything off and you're yelling, you're hearing the, the special teamers yapping at each other on both sides, uh, pretty clear as day. <laughs> and you're right, we were, we were not close to the field. So it was, uh, it's definitely an interesting kind of concept to, to be there. But at the same time, all that yapping, it was them trying to bring their own energy. I mean, I, it felt like from the time they ran out, I, I thought I heard Patrick Peterson scream when he first came out on the field at the very beginning of warmups. Um, they clearly tried to manufacture something Sunday that I'm not sure they had tried as hard to do the previous couple of weeks. You know, it was intriguing too, Kyle, was we taped 
Cliff Kingsbury's weekly TV show, and he told Wolf and yours truly that there were times during the game it was so quiet, he barked out orders to his offense as they lined up. He went Sean McVay in the headset in the helmet of Jared Goff before 15 on the play clock, telling his, 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 his quarterback not only what the play is, but he's telling him what defense is being run and what his first and second reads are. Now, I don't know if it got that far for Cliff Kingsbury, but he did say there were times where he was ripped off his headset and he's yelling to guys what to expect and here's what's coming and this is how this play is going to unfold. That's a totally new dynamic in the NFL. So he circumvented the rules where the headset goes off with a certain amount of time left, and now he just yells it? Yell it right out. I mean, (laughs) if the Jets, to Darren's point, had decided to turn off even like the faux crowd noise, which they did a number of times, it was just dead silence as if it was a walkthrough practice in an empty stadium. And so I don't know how often the Jets took advantage of that, but the Cardinals sideline did. So I I thought it was just intriguing here in 2020, and I'm hoping – that the Lions loss and especially the Carolina loss at least is a lasting lesson. Okay, you got to bring the energy. That's where it starts is that's what you can control at least. Well, the, we, we know that it, it's not going to be the same thing in Dallas. They're supposed to have about 25,000 people in the stands. While that's not a full boat in, in Jerry World for sure, that's a significant amount of fans there that are going to be creating some noise and creating some energy. All right, let's just get right to it. Kyle, the Cardinals win, but they also lose Chandler Jones. Uh, At the very least, it won't be a 100% Chandler Jones with a biceps injury. Uh, How do you think this impacts the Cardinals' defense? I mean, you're talking about, after last year, the elite pass rusher in the NFL, and we know that's where a lot of teams start in trying to build a defense with a guy who can get to the quarterback. Yeah, and as of this taping, we're still not exactly sure – if he's done for the year, it seems that's the most plausible scenario, but I think clearly they're at least going to miss him for some amount of time. And um, yeah, I mean, clearly this is a guy who is an all pro is, is somebody who the defense gives the lion's share of attention to on the defensive front. So when we saw Hassan Reddick and Devon Kennard and Jordan Phillips and Corey Peters have those early sacks, it helped because sometimes those were one-on-one matchups because Chandler Jones had two guys on him and, I mean, I, I don't, I think Chandler Jones having only one sack in four games plus the Jets game, that was a disappointment. Uh, he expected more out of himself and we probably thought he'd have more at that point. But I think at this point, we're really going to understand how much he means to that front. Just like we learned with Buddha on the back end, when you, when you took Buddha Baker out of the lineup, the safety position was really in a, a tough spot. And luckily that was only one game. The Cardinals are hoping that's not as pronounced on the defensive line. And a good thing is that they looked pretty good without him for half a game. I mean, it's going to be a lot different now because teams are going to understand the strengths of Hassan Reddick and Kylie Fitz. And if Dennis Gardette gets out there, what kind of pass rusher he is. I think before they weren't ready for what the Cardinals were going to bring because it was such an unexpected injury. Now people are going to game plan against you and and have a different plan because they don't have to just worry about Chandler Jones. And we'll see what the trickle down effect is. I don't know, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a big loss and we'll see how big it is. I wonder if the scheme changes, honestly, there were a number of snaps after Chandler Jones left the game in the second quarter at New York, where Zach Allen was the outside guy. It almost looked like they were running a a four, three at times. It, It was an interesting defensive front. I wonder if Vance Joseph and 
and company, they're in there sort of scheming and, and trying to fit a scheme to the, what personnel they have left. Well, I mean, let's not forget, as long as Devon Kennard is on the shelf and we don't know if he's going to be able to return for the Dallas game or not, you were talking about having, let's say even if you wanted to put Isaiah Simmons at outside linebacker a couple times in the Jets game, you had Kylie Fitz who probably could hold up. He's probably the right size at outside linebacker. Gardick's undersized. Isaiah Simmons is undersized. Hassan Reddick is undersized. You had to put Zach Allen out there in probable running downs because – you don't have guys that are going to be able to hold up on the outside. And that's, that's the issue that they're going to have without Chandler Jones at this time. Now, if they get Kennard back, um, you can work with some things, maybe put him and Fitz out there. That's Fitz with two T's and an S uh, him and Fitz out there um, and, and maybe be your, your run uh, down guys. But I mean, look, you're, you're losing one of your top three players, probably top four players. So, I mean, there's going to be issues when he's out of the lineup, no matter what position. And, and now it's just a question of trying to figure out how you're going to juggle things. And, you know, again, we we've talked all season about how this offense needs to be really good just to make sure that the defense gets held up. And I, I just think that just got intensified and magnified. I hate the biceps injury. Can I just say that? I mean, it's such a semi insignificant muscle to football, the bicep, right? I mean, come on. If you're in a weight room, in an NFL weight room, and you're doing work on your biceps, guys accuse you of working on your beach muscle, muscles. You know, it doesn't really have a role in football necessarily, yet it can easily end a guy's season we've seen repeatedly over the years. And that's where, I, you know, of course, a few years ago I tore my biceps. So uh, maybe I'm just salty because everyone said, hey, Paulie Pencilneck, how can you tear something you don't have? So I finally have something in common with an NFL player, and then people accuse me of not having it. So, you know, maybe, I, maybe there's a little track history, me, in, in the biceps injury. But that's what's just frustrating about that sort of injury. Some guys have played through it, Adrian Wilson, and you got to live with a foreign bicep the rest of your life. Rob Fredrickson did as much. In fact, Fredrickson was all over me on Twitter and saying, uh, you know, former Cardinals linebacker. It just depends what part of your bicep you tear and whether you have that option or not. Some guys, guys, times they do, they don't. So uh, all that being the case, do you think there's a letdown of any sort, Kyle? Do you worry about the emotional impact of losing your MVP on defense in a Chandler Jones? I think usually when you lose somebody, the, the players tend to galvanize and, and try to show that, hey, even without one of our best players, we can do a, a good job and we're able to pick up the slack. So I think the defense will be emotionally ready to go, especially you're playing in prime time. You're playing America's team, a very big game. I think, you know, everybody's certainly going to be ready for this one. The question is, personnel-wise, can you handle it? That, that means so much more to me is you have the horses on the field to stick with a Dallas offense that, yes, does not have Dak Prescott anymore, but this is a very explosive team with a trio of receivers that are among the NFL's best. You've got Ezekiel Elliott and Andy Dalton is not a, a starting caliber quarterback, but he's probably one of the top three best backups in the NFL, so he can get the job done. It's not like somebody's coming in here that can't throw. And when you got Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb, that's a tough thing to cover. So I think the Cardinals' defense is certainly going to have its hands full against Dallas. Remember what he did in Cincinnati. You referenced it, Darren. Remember the end of that game. He had two late touchdown throws, and all of a sudden it was a 23-all game. Then the Cardinals won 26-23 on a Zane Gonzalez game-winning field goal at the Horn. And that's his M.O. You saw in this last game he came in for Dak and led a game-winning drive 
and they won at the very end. He has 25 game-winning drives in his career. Andy Dalton, a nine-year guy, took the Bengals to the playoffs several times. There's a degree of difficulty in doing that, we know. Uh, so to Kyle's point, the receivers are a huge upgrade compared to New York, what Dallas has. And then, of course, Ezekiel Elliott, as Devondre Campbell detailed, he is a top five complete back in the NFL. What do you, where, do you, where are you on the Cardinals defense? Was tackling to your liking? What about the fact that, you know, the Jets averaged five yards a carry again, yet another opponent to do that against the Cardinals? If, if every defensive game plan starts with stopping the run, where are the Cardinals right now in that category? Well, I mean, I, I would have liked to see a little bit more from them uh, against the Jets. Le'Veon Bell was back. It's Le'Veon Bell, not Le'Veon Bell of 2017 maybe, but it is Le'Veon Bell. And, um, but I, I would have liked to see a little bit more there. They came up big when they needed to come up big. They came up with a, a fourth down stop. Uh, they, they came up with a, a third one stop where Jordan Hicks and, you know, Paul, you and I talked about it in the, in the, uh, in the suite. I want to say the press box, but it wasn't the press box. In the suite, when it happened where Hicks went from the middle of the field to the sideline with Bell and made sure he didn't get the corner on a third and one, which I thought was an unbelievable effort. Um, there were really some really good signs. I thought the tackling was much better. Um, but they are, they, they did get gashed a little bit. And uh, there, there was some play action issues again, um, which when you got a guy like Ezekiel Elliott kind of frightens me a little bit because it, it could be a little bit easier to pull some of those off. And like you said, the receivers that the Cowboys have, whether it's Lamb or Cooper or Michael Gallup, who's really good, um, you know, getting open. I mean, there's Andy Dalton is going to have places to, to put the ball. And even with Dak Prescott being out, there's a good chance that this could develop into a shootout. And that, again, goes back to whatever this defense is doing, this offense needs to perform like everybody thinks it can perform. And I'll tell you what, Joe Flacco was victimized by three brutal drops in that game. Jeff Smith had a couple of them. There was a backup tight end who, who dropped one. You know, for the most part, it wasn't nearly as easy as Carolina made it look. For example, Kyle, that just the eyeball test against Carolina was just too easy. On third down in the red zone, just chunk throws. Guys were too wide open too often. We didn't get nearly as much of that against the Jets. But there was enough that there, there is a little bit of concern. I, I definitely think that's plausible with Darren proposed there. A bit of a shootout, considering how bad the Cowboys' defense is and considering how much of a show I'm sure Kyler and Cliff would love to put on back in the Lone Star State. Yeah, you see, I'm not, I'm not concerned about the running run stopping issues at all. I don't think it's, it's a very, a very much of a weakness in my eyes, uh, but I do think the coverage has been not great the last two weeks, as you mentioned. The, I mean, they only scored 10 points and the numbers like that weren't there, but those drops were on wide open passes. I thought early on the defense struggled and got bailed out by Joe Flacco throwing a really poor pass on one of his first ones of the game and then the bad drops. So I think they have to fix that. And obviously the one touchdown drive they had was on a busted coverage when Jamison Crowder, I think it was, was wide open. Um, and if you do that stuff against Dallas, you're going to get beat up pretty good in the passing game. So that's what I'm watching. I, I mean, the Cardinals are pretty healthy on the back end now, and they're going to hope to to iron that out. And, and we'll see, I think, if, if they have the type of personnel that you need. And we haven't gotten to Prince of Mucamera yet, but he's the guy that they signed to the practice squad. And if 
if some of these corners aren't playing up to snuff, you've got a veteran who has done it before. It might take him some time to get up to speed, but now maybe there's a little bit of competition with what he brings. You know, if we're going to talk about Ezekiel Elliott and, and the run game and it's stopping the run, what about the Cardinals? Let's flip it over real quick, Darren. With, with what we saw of Kenyon Drake late and then what we've seen from Jace Edmonds this entire season, I think it was Chase right after the game. He called it a three-headed rushing attack between him, Kenyon, and Kyler Murray. Uh, is that good? Is that good for the Cardinals? Is that, is that something you think Cliff Kingsbury aspires to have? But this well, I mean, I, I, here's the thing. I, I don't want to get over our skis with some of that. I mean, Kyler Murray, we, we've talked a lot about what he's going to do in the run game. And that's not – I don't think there's going to be this bevy of designed runs for Kyler Murray every game. There's going to be a few, and then he'll scramble for some. But I don't think it's going to be a regular part of the run game per se. Um, and Chase Edmonds only had three carries. It's not like – you know, he had a great game. And he was super effective in a lot of different areas, but it was catching the ball too. It was, there was, an, it was a return game. It's not like they gave him the ball eight times on the ground and then you added in five catches or whatever. He had three carries. Kenyon Drake still had 18 carries in the game and still was the main dude. And so, yeah, you want to use them all, but I, I still think they are desperately trying to get Kenyon Drake going in the right direction. I agree with Cliff Kingsbury. I thought he – he flashed later in the game. He got a little bit more north-south. That was necessary. I think everybody was starting to notice it. You don't want to be in a situation where you're seeing him dance to the point where we were seeing David Johnson dance last year. And one of the reasons Kenyon Drake ended up being the guy. Um, so I'm going to be very curious to see how kind of how that proceeds as we go. Every time it's been brought up that there's going to be some kind of running by committee for this team, ever since Cliff Kingsbury comes, uh, has come aboard, games have proven otherwise. There's one dude. There's the, Kyler's going to run a couple of times, and you might the backup might get a couple of carries. There's one dude. And I, I still have not seen anything other than lip service that tells me it's going to be anything different. I don't mean to be the guy that would be in Darren's mailbag, for example, right? You know, coming and just trying to stir it up here. I don't want you in my mailbag, Paul. <laughs> well, Kyle, you know Chase Edmonds as well as anyone, from what I can tell. And in the one game where they did feed him last year at the Giants, I mean, he went off. How good could he be if he was the featured back again? I mean, I, yeah, I, I kind of going down that line of thinking too, or Darren's 100% correct. I mean, even, even Chase Edmonds has a, a great touchdown run. And then I don't think he had another carry in the first half after that. So it's, it's definitely been Kenyon Drake a lot. But when you look at the aggregate of this season, Chase Edmonds is averaging five yards per carry and Kenyon Drake's at 3.7. So do they start splitting it more? Do you want to get Chase Edmonds more involved? I mean, he's looked fantastic in my eyes the whole season. He seems like he's got a, a special gear and he's very decisive. He's explosive. And I think this is going to be a good test this week to see if Cliff Kingsbury does it more because after Sunday, if you wanted to split it up more, you'd have every reason in the world to because Chase Edmonds outplayed Kenyon Drake against the Jets. And if he sticks with KD, it's probably going to be that similarly the rest of the season. But that being said, Chase Edmonds played 45% of the offensive snaps against New York, which was a season high. He continues to trend upward there. They're doing two back stuff. They're putting him in the slot. It seems like they're making a concerted effort to get Chase Edmonds on the field because he's been so good. 
You know what I'm hearing there, Kyle? I think sweeps are coming up, and you guys do the TV show on game day. I'm hearing like a sweeps. Point, counterpoint. You know, a sensationalistic, you know, you guys drop this uh, bomb of a running back controversy story on azcardinals.com, and then you go on multiple platforms and you stir it up. You know, those are some pretty compelling stats over there on, on Chase Edmonds. It's, uh, Does the internet have sweeps week? <laughs> I don't know. I just tell you what I think, Paul. I'm not doing it for sweeps. I don't even know if local TV still has sweeps. I'm just going back <laughs> to local TV newsroom days. <laughs> um, but what about Larry? Uh, when he makes the one-handed grab there, Darren, I mean, I think we both jumped out of our seats a little bit in, in New York. And uh, is he still underutilized? What if you fed Larry a dozen targets? How confident are you he could be, he could still be Larry? I'm confident he could, if he became the focal point, I'm confident he would be able to do it. Now, whether you can get your offense in some such a way that it made sense to give him 12 targets and you would function the way you want to function, I'm not 100% sure about that. I mean, I think, I, I think, with the penalties, there were penalties that they did the other day that they didn't really like. And I think there were some parts of the running game that they wanted to have be more effective. Um, I think the passing game was pretty much how Cliff Kingsbury wants it to be, which is you're spreading it around. You're finding, I mean, you could go to all these different parts of the game and finding different things. They did involve Larry Fitzgerald more than they have and they should, and he should be getting, a bunch of targets in a game, relatively speaking. But Andy Isabella was targeted a couple times early. Christian Kirk had a big first half. And then quietly, you know, DeAndre Hopkins had a few catches until that one drive where he gets whatever it was, 82 yards on two catches and, and changes how his game looks. Um, because, you know, they you've kind of lulled them to sleep. I'm guessing they were probably looking at Hopkins awful carefully early. And then when they realized they weren't throwing it at him, they tried to shift some stuff, then boom, you take advantage. And I, I think that's exactly how you want to do it. I think, you know, I don't, I don't want them to get to a point where they're forcing stuff. I do think they need to look at Fitzgerald more often than the offense than they had been, but I don't think you need to go too far the other way. And, you know, I thought for the most part, I liked what Kyler Murray did. I, I thought he, he did go through his possession uh, pro, uh, progressions. He had time to do it, but I liked how he did that. Um, he had the one tip pass for the interception. That wasn't good. I know the other interception wasn't good, but, you know, and, and I heard some of this discussion on the radio, but quite frankly, that interception doesn't bother me at all because I think he threw that knowing exactly he was looking right at DeAndre Hopkins. He saw DeAndre Hopkins essentially get tackled before he threw the ball and he chucked it up to make sure he got the penalty. Now you're taking a little bit of a risk, I suppose, but I think when Kyler let that ball go, he knew he knew he was getting a penalty there. So I'm, I'm not concerned about the interception that wasn't. So I like the direction he went. And again, we'll see how it looks against Dallas. I know what Kyle liked. I'm burying the lead. The fourth and one call. I, I come on, go ahead. Three, two, one, go. I, I just I enjoy that there's no backlash or criticism when a team goes for it on fourth and one and gets it, and then when a team goes for it on fourth and one and doesn't get it, like Mike Zimmer and the Vikings. Oh, how could you go for it on fourth and one? Like, I would just prefer if people were just. I mean at least equal about it. Like give, give Cliff Kingsbury credit and, and say you did a good job if you think so. And if you disagreed with the call, then say you wouldn't have done it, even though it worked to Darrell Daniels. So I think I'm clearly on record. I thought Mike Zimmer going for it was a good call. 
you needed half a foot to win the game and they didn't get it. I think Cliff Kingsbury continually pushing the envelope has been a big key to this season. I think it's important moving forward. When games come down to the wire, sometimes one fourth down decision can mean a lot, like we saw in this game. The Cardinals are up 17-10. If they punt that ball, the Jets have the ball with a chance to tie. And the Cardinals were the better team and they probably would have won but if you let a team hang around and then they get a pick six or a fumble or something weird happens, that's when you can get upset. So I think Cliff Kingsbury is doing a great job of trying to keep possession. He knows fourth and one, you're going to convert probably 75 to 80% of the time. And I think the Cardinals should continue to keep doing what they're doing because having Kyler Murray in that situation makes it so hard on a defense to know what's coming. The Cardinals are now four for four on fourth down, correct? hundred percent. Yep. And maybe – I'm now to the point where I've been conditioned that I'm not shocked. So when it is fourth and one from your own 39 and you go for it, um, you know, I'm not, I don't get myself in an uproar. Although I will say my boxers bunge a little bit when I saw the intended target was Darrell Daniels. When you have a blocking tight end and the ball going, it was sort of like Kurt Warner ice in a playoff game on third and 16 and going to Steven Spock. I got to be honest, Paul. I'm like, I feel that's a little stereotyping Darrell Daniels at this point because I feel like he's actually shown up pretty well uh, of recent vintage as a guy who can catch the ball, especially when he's open. Now, again, I, I mean, if you don't go to a guy like that, then it's probably not as wide open. That's one of the reasons it's so wide open is because it's Darrell Daniels. I, I will say this. I, I think as we see analytics seep much more into the league, and, and teams going for it on fourth down or perhaps going for two-point conversions. I, I think um, I think we've got to get to that point where we have to understand why it's happening and not freak out as much. I, I, it makes me think so much of the Minnesota fourth down call. I mean, he was inches away from making that. And obviously, Russell Wilson had to come down and score. But, like, if he scores, not one person is saying you should have kicked the field goal to Mike Zimmer. Not one. And because he didn't, and I think we, we really have to get past that point where it's like, is the decision right in the moment and not is the decision right because of the result? Because if something doesn't work, you're always going to say you shouldn't have done that. That's, that's killer hindsight. And, and I just, I feel like I, I like the fact that he goes on, on fourth and short. They've shown they, they can convert those things. I don't think they do it lightly. And, uh, you know, again, if we were in the old school football where games ended 17 to 10 all the time, those possessions are scary. But in games where teams are scoring 30 points in a game, oftentimes, I don't think one possession turning it over and losing field position of 30 yards or so is the death knell that it once was. And I know you guys are going to disagree, especially Kyle, but here we go. It's going to come and blow back right in my face right now. It's a different decision to me when you're going against Russell Wilson, when the game's on the line and there's the risk of giving the ball back to the guy who is along with Aaron Rodgers, absolutely clutch with the game on the line, who is the leading MVP candidate right there with Aaron Rodgers versus all due respect, the jets and backup Joe Flacco. It's, it's a totally and a chance to go up eight points and force them to hit the end zone twice. Um, yeah, I, 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 maybe I'm one of the only guys, but when I saw that happening, uh, that, that gave me real pause. I didn't like it, and then, of course, I hated it because it was easy to hate it once it didn't work. But All right, I don't want to cut you. I know you got a lot to say on this, Kyle, so I don't want to cut you off, but I got to say this real quick. 
you're right that you make Russell Wilson go twice there, Paul. But if you make the first down, Russell Wilson becomes immaterial for the rest of the game. And to me, that's the best kind of Russell Wilson. An immaterial Russell Wilson, that's one of the reasons I would have gone for. But here, I'll, yeah. I'll let Kyle speak on no, That's what I was going to say. I mean, if, if you don't want to give Russell Wilson the ball, if you run it, you get a first down, he doesn't get the ball at all. Yeah. But the problem is the game's now on the line. Whereas the best, the worst outcome if you kick the field goal is overtime. The worst outcome in that sequence is exactly what happened. You lose. So once again, it's the risk reward. It's the cost benefit. Well, you lose, you lose in regulation. You easily dismissed. It was the, the numbers were crunched and basically it was a coin flip when like, even the analytics said if you kicked a field goal, it would have been fine. Either way, your win probability was something like 95%. So they were in a great position either way. And obviously every single thing went right for the Seahawks where they made the stop. They got it on fourth and 10. They got the last play of the game, a touchdown. Seahawks needed a lot to go right. And if the Vikings kicked the field goal, they still would have needed a lot to go right. So I don't I mean, if they kicked it, I, it wouldn't have been that big a deal to me. I don't think it was the clear go-for-it situation, but I do feel like anytime you can win the game by getting half a foot, it's pretty good odds to do so. And I don't, I'm not going to fault a coach for saying, hey, I think I can get six inches to win a football game. Coach Clip told us on Game Plan, his weekly TV show, he might have said the same after the game, that yes, analytics are a factor, but it's far from the only factor in him making – those decisions that there's anecdotal information guys coming up to him. What do you see? What do you think this play could work? We like this play in practice a lot. In this case, it was Steve Hyden, the tight ends coach who is re responsible for the play design. What's the momentum of the game? How do you, do you like the way your lines coming off the ball, for example? So it's interesting. It's, it's a head coach's decision and, and it's more than just the math of the decision. At least that was what coach clip told us. Yeah, the, the play design has definitely gotten lost in the whole thing. Like, you have to execute the play. You Just because it's fourth and one doesn't mean you're automatically going to get it 80% of the time if you run anything. Yeah. I mean, you got to run a good play, and you gotta you got to use the right pieces. And that's why I think the Cardinals going for it a lot makes sense both in the analytics world and because of the way they're built. When you have Kyler Murray as that extra running option – like I, I looked at the Saints game and on fourth and one, you know, Drew Brees isn't carrying that football. So when you've got Kyler and when you've got the horizontal game and you're used to throwing it side to side, the Cardinals are well built to get, you know, one to four yards on a play. And that's why I think a reason why they're so effective. The, the, the Minnesota game was, was perfect. Like they did, they showed an overhead shot and if the running back had just bounced to between right tackle and right guard instead of between the center and right guard, there was a hole there. He would have gotten the first down, but he took a, the wrong path, essentially. And that goes back to Kyle's execution, you know? And Coach Cliff told us, yes, there is a spot on his laminated play sheet with the, uh, the nuclear codes, if you will, the super extra plays, the Glen Gary leads, if you will. There is a section <laughs> on that laminated play sheet where you've got – those play when you got to have it, it's right there at your disposal. So, which makes me wonder, Kyle, what's in store in Dallas? You can't, I don't care what Coach Cliff says this week, going into Dallas to play the Cowboys as a native Texan, right? Hashtag Texas forever. And you're going in on Monday Night Football in that stadium somewhere he's never been as an NFL head coach, at least on the biggest stage. 
uh, man, there's got to be something that he say he saved up those uh, that long sleeve shirt he wears on every game day. Yeah, I, I do think it's a balance. Like if if you looked at what they did against the Jets, there was no reason to get super tricky in New York because, like we talked about, you're averaging 10.3 yards per pass attempt. Just keep on throwing it. It doesn't matter. Just be run your normal offense. But now I think, you know, in Dallas, the natural the natural idea is to be creative because you're known as this creative guy. You're on prime time. You're, you're playing in front of a national audience for one of the first times and you don't want to do things that are too risky or are taking away from your normal offense. I think Cliff Kingsbury has gotten a really nice grasp of that, especially probably halfway through last season. He really picked his spots and most of his trick plays were effective. So we'll see. I mean, he might, he might roll one out early. He did, a flea flicker in New Orleans, New Orleans last year and some different stuff against certain teams. But the fact that the Cardinals offense played so well last week and that they're favored in this game, I'm not sure that it's going to be a bunch of trickiness because I feel like the Cardinals personnel on offense is better than Dallas's personnel on defense. So let's just stay on schedule and run our basic offense if it's working. That's, that's, what, that's the first thing I think of is if we're going to sit here and say Dallas's defense isn't that good, and we're going to sit here and say that the Cardinals offense seemed to find itself a little bit last week. Why would you mess around and get get too sideways on it? I get what you're saying, um, but I, I don't think there's any greater statement that Cliff Kingsbury could make on Monday night than to walk out of that stadium with a victory over the Dallas Cowboys. I think that's the ultimate statement that he could make, and uh, you want to do it uh, however way it works. And to me, if you play it somewhat straight with some of the offensive talent that you have, then you do it that way. Of course, you got a second-year quarterback who's from the Dallas area, and on Monday Night Football against the Cowboys, I mean, he's got to be—he'll <laughs> be a basket case by kickoff. Oh no, wait a minute. Um, he played there as a sophomore in high school in front of fifty thousand plus fans. So, I mean, if anybody's experienced, it's your second-year quarterback. That's just incomprehensible to me. Still, there's Anybody even fewer. There'll be there'll be fewer fans Monday night than there were for championship games. <laughs> It's so 2020, is it not? It's just so absurd, the circumstances that Kyler Murray's going back. And, and to think that he played in that stadium as a sophomore, as a junior in high school, and they won big school state titles. Kyle, he went, what, 43-0 and in high school. And uh, so I, I just think it's, it's hilarious. Guys will come to Kyler to ask what it's like to play in that stadium, guys who've never done it before. Yeah, and this game is, is going to be interesting to me because, he, like you said, he has the experience. He's a very low-key guy, and it seems like he's never been affected by the big spotlight on him. But is it different in his hometown knowing he's got friends and family in the building and everybody's there to see him, and they've known him since he was five years old or whatever? And, and that part, I mean, will he try to dazzle? Will he do a little bit out of the offense because he wants to show that he can – he can really be a star in this league. And it goes back to me from last year when he took too many sacks early on because he tried to keep plays alive. And this season, we have not seen that at all. The sack total has drastically decreased. The Cardinals are doing a really nice job in protection. And Kyler Murray has been really good making decisions and throwing the ball away when he has to. Does that change at all with the bright lights in his hometown? I don't think it will, but there is that little part of me that wonders if he will be affected by, by the situation. So Justin Pugh, real quick on the O-line, graded out real high in week one against the Niners and that, that big defensive front before they were banged up. I think he was second overall in the NFL pass blocking grade. Didn't DJ Humphreys rank real high this week? 
DJ Humphreys just got the highest pro football focus grade among any offensive player in the NFL this week. So he got a 93.1 grade. He was really good in pass blocking. He didn't allow a pressure in 43 snaps, according to pro football focus. And then in run blocking, he was really good, which we've seen a lot. I mean, he's a very good run blocker. So maybe it's coming together for DJ Humphreys, who has a lot of talent and it was the Jets, so you have to realize the caliber of competition, and he's going to face Demarcus Lawrence and Alden Smith this week, which is a big change. But, yeah, I think the offensive line has been really, really solid all season, and if they can keep that up, I think really this offense is going to start clicking. And it was interesting to hear Kelvin Beecham this week talk to the media and say, yeah, you guys can cite the sacks, and we just care about our quarterback getting hit. We don't want Kyler getting hit, period. And so – with that in mind, he cited a lot of different areas in which they can get better. And so that was good to hear. Devondre Campbell held the defense accountable and cited a bunch of different areas where the defense can still get better. Maybe the best thing, though, about Monday night, and it was intriguing to watch the Saints-Chargers game, not the Chargers blow another 17-point lead and lose another game by a single score after they lost nine single-score games a year ago. No, not All that. right, Paul, may maybe I'm coming to your side where I say single-score games oh. are always luck, but oh the Chargers God. keep on doing it. Oh, my gosh. And, and, but what was intriguing and it's always still kind of cool ever since I was a little kid and you're watching Monday Night Football is to see the promo for the next week. When you see your team and you see your quarterback featured and it's the promo for the next week and you, the anticipation starts to build. And uh, there's still – I know Sunday night is now the premier showcase and all that, but there's still something cool about the Monday Night Football, especially when the latest ratings came out in 18 – of the top 20 rated TV shows in 2020 have been NFL telecasts. So you know the eyeballs are going to be there, Kyle. Yeah, if you're talking about, you know, national perspective and aesthetic, certainly the Cardinals are sitting here looking like a team that can capture a lot of attention because of Kyler Murray, because of Cliff Kingsbury and the offense. And it, it seems like a team that's on the rise. And sitting at three and two, if you beat the Cowboys on national television and score a lot of points – I think that's going to pique the interest of a lot of people. And then suddenly you're four and two going into a game against the Seahawks. So really a pivotal game for the Cardinals, not only in the season, but perceptive wise. I mean, the local fans know a lot about this team, but nationally the Cardinals don't get a lot of publicity. They're not on these primetime games a lot. If you win this one, I think all of a sudden people are going to be paying a lot more attention to the team in the desert. Yeah, honestly, if you want attention, play the Cowboys on Monday night. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you're going to get a guaranteed America's team audience. Uh, you just are. They're, they just get whether they're good or bad. When they're in prime time, they get a lot of attention. They get a lot of viewership. So you're right. If you could pick a single opponent to try and showcase your own team, then play Dallas on Monday night. Maybe the best thing for Kyler, to your point about how many potential distractions there could be, maybe the best thing is that there's a bubble and there are strict protocols against you interacting with anyone, anyone, even the lowly pencil neck sideline guy. We went to Santa Clara where I grew up. I couldn't visit with my parents. Uh, we went to Carolina, DJ Humphreys, I went five miles from where the team hotel was, his family was, and he couldn't connect with his family. So maybe the best thing for Kyler <laughs> to minimize and mitigate all the potential distractions is I guess what? You, you can't break the bubble in the team hotel basically where, where it, they were so bored on Darren, Darren on Saturday that I saw 
I saw Larry take down team doctor uh, Wayne Cool. So Doc Cool got taken down by Larry in chess on Saturday. And I was so bored, I almost started teaching myself chess off YouTube. Why, why wouldn't you? You should have recorded that chess game. That would have gotten all kinds of viral hits. Larry Fitzgerald playing chess with a team doctor. Well, there were some menacing security guys right flanking him, and they, they kind of gave me an evil eye, like, uh, hey, you, you media guy, keep moving. Keep going. <laughs> keep walking. Keep walking. So I, all I got was a visual. It, it, I, I, am, I am curious to know exactly how, you know, I, I'm working on a story this week. Uh, Paul about Kyler's high school days and and the magic that he had for those three years when he started and won every single game that he started for those three years and a 43 game winning streak and three state championships and crazy stats and everything and uh, it, it look the Cowboys are the Cowboys there and I'm curious to know who's rooting for who? I mean, can you root for Kyler and do to do well and still have the Cowboys win? Because I, I feel like that's kind of the direction it's going to go. And the other thing that I thought was really funny is in talking to the coaches, uh, some of the guys that played that are now coaches uh, there or his ex-head coach who actually is at another school now, none of them are going to the game and none of them are actually going to sit down and watch the game. You want to know why? Because it's Monday night and there's games Friday for them and it's coaching football and high school football in Texas is a seven day a week job and they'll have it on in the background. They all say, but they're not going to be paying that close of attention because there's just too much work to do. Come on. High school coaches are going to be grinding film all Monday night. Are you not paying attention to like Texas high school football? It's a whole different world. Well, you know, I mean, I wasn't, you're, you're, getting, you're getting paid like 150 grand just to, to, to be the high, the coach. You don't even have to teach. I have seen Friday Night Lights about 14 times and Smash Williams. You know, I mean, I consider myself somewhat knowledgeable. And I remember, you know, and then there was, there, was the, uh, there was the TV show where a guy by the name of Kyle, right? Kyle Chandler won like <laughs> Emmy for Best Actor one year. I do remember that, you know, so, you know, so I'm, I'm on board with that. I mean, Kelvin Beecham said that growing up where he grew up, which is a small town in Texas, he told us in the Big Red Rage, yes, it was every bit Friday Night Lights. The whole town would close down. They would play their game. The whole town would empty out and go on the road. So, uh, you know, don't forget, by the way, the Josh Jones quote. Remember Josh Jones on, on draft day, and he met the media, and he said as a kid growing up in the Houston area that they would watch Kyler Murray film from when he was in high school. All the other high schools around the state would watch his film and just go, oh, my God, this is just stupid. Look at how good this kid is. I, I was talking to uh, Bobby uh, Evans, who's a reserve t uh, tackle for the Los Angeles Rams. And I was asking him, like, at the time, did you have any doubt? You saw him doing all this magical stuff. But, I mean, did you have any doubts he was eventually going to be an NFL quarterback? He's like, no. He goes, I know all these people kept saying all this stuff about how small he was. But he goes, his tackles were me and Greg Little of the Panthers. He goes, so he was playing behind NFL-sized lineman he goes well, there wasn't going to be a problem oh my gosh that's it, it and he okay now i this is one thing i want to understand he transferred in to allen right and didn't before you before sophomore year yes and so you interviewed the quarterback who he replaced i did i talked to the guy who was the senior oliver pierce he was the senior quarterback uh who was supposed to be the senior quarterback when kyler first moved in and Oliver Pierce did start at quarterback uh, Kyler's sophomore year to begin with, and then about a third of the way through the season, Kyler was already playing. They were a powerhouse team anyways. Um, and K 
Kyler was already seeing a little bit of action because they get up on teams. Um, but there was a game in midseason where they struggled. Uh, Kyler came in, got the, them to overtime. They ended up losing in overtime. But that's when Tom Westerberg, the coach, decided, you know what? Best thing is for to move Oliver Pierce back to the slot where he had played before he was a senior uh, as a receiver and make Kyler Murray my quarterback. And from then on, uh, Allen won 43 straight games with Kyler Murray on the roster. He only won 42 of them. He apparently sat out one game with an injury, and they still won that game. But um, won all the games, put up crazy numbers. And again, Kyler Murray was playing in the highest level of Texas high school football against the best that they had to offer. So when he was playing, uh, especially in the playoffs uh, and in their non-district schedule, they were playing the best teams there were. And he was going against teams. Somebody uh, mentioned DeSoto, one of the teams that they beat a couple of times. You know, DeSoto would have 40 of their guys on the roster get D1 scholarships, 30 and 40 guys. I mean, that these these are like – this is where college football, this is one of the pipelines, and he was playing and beating those teams. Well, you know, what happened with Coach Westerberg was he had four sale signs in his yard after they had that overtime loss. So then he said, I got to make the change of quarterback, you know, just like Friday Night Lights, and then I'm going to win. I don't know. Three in a row. I, I, I looked – when he ended up taking that job in Houston in 2016, he took a job at a Houston high school after Kyler had left, and they had won another championship, I think. I think his record at Allen was 148-17. So I'm not 100% sure he ever had the signs in the front yard. He didn't grind enough tape on the Monday evening of the overtime game, so that's why they lost. He said never again. Well – Kyle, you know this. If you want to get a sense, all you have to do, and and Darren's going to have a great story, but really what you need to do, Darren, instead of that whole story, just take the whole week off, and all you need to do is post a link to a picture of the Allen High School football stadium. It is a stadium because it's a double-deck stadium that seats like 35,000 fans or something ridiculous like that. It looks like a max stadium, like a mid-major stadium. I believe, I have to double-check, but I believe they opened that the first year Kyler was at Allen. Wow. Wow. So maybe that's why they needed him in the lineup. You needed that star power. It's kind of like Matt Leinart in 2006. Hey, they're probably, they're probably charging PSLs. They probably got personal seat licenses going in that thing too. His trajectory would have been interesting if he was from say the Northeast or something. It reminds me of the Mike Trout story where Mike Trout dominated the competition in New Jersey, but he went in the middle of the first round because teams weren't sure about the caliber of competition. And if Kyler Murray does that in a non-football powerhouse state, do people wonder if at 5'10", he can have that type of success in college? Is he the same highly ranked prospect? I mean, I know they have camps and he would have gone to camps and obviously done well, but I don't know if he would have been this five-star can't miss prospect going into college. And how much does that change his college experience? And and obviously baseball was always on the table. So a lot of what ifs there, but clearly showing it against a team that had 40 D1 kids, it, it proves a lot. I, I got, I, here's the question, Kyle. If he doesn't go to Allen, uh, how different is he in press conferences since he was doing press conferences when he was 14 years old, from what I was told? <laughs> well, all I know is when Friday Night Lights wrapped up the TV show, Michael B. Jordan was the quarterback, was the dual threat quarterback who, who has since appeared in numerous movies, including Creed 1 and Creed 2, which I had the misfortune of watching Creed 2 on the team flight out to New York. So I was, uh, once again, the answer to I was so bored. Uh, not only did I think about teaching myself chess, but I actually watched Creed 2 from start to finish. So 
Uh, there you go. That's true. It says, I just, I'm looking it up. Uh, Jim Omohundro is helping us out here. They opened that stadium on my birthday, actually, in 2012, August 31st, 2012. So it was the first year was Kyler Murray's first year there as a sophomore. So he christened that stadium uh, in a good way. Obviously, they, they never were losing. So that's a, that's a good thing. <laughs> All right. Any quotes from Smash Williams in your story? You know, Friday Night Lights fame, anything like that? No. Okay. I, I actually I never watched the TV show. I just saw the movie a couple of times. Huh. All right. All and right. I read the book. I actually read the book. Uh, how did the book compare to the movie, by the way? I never did read the book. The book was unbelievable. Better? Excellent. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, the, the book was a true story. It was Buzz Bichinger falling around this high school team for a year. It would, it's something that I would have loved to do at some point. It's a great book. Yeah. Permian High School. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then there's the Chandler team where I get like a dozen kids from Colorado transferred in because of the COVID protocols and they couldn't play in Colorado and a dozen kids transferred into one of the Chandler high school teams and a bunch of starters got replaced because all these blue chippers came in from Colorado. So wow. yeah, high, high school. That's a whole nother thing. just Texas anymore. That reminds me of when Mike Bibby uh, brought his son and his club team into Shadow Mountain and they basically replaced the whole varsity team when they moved in as freshmen and said, tough tiddlywinks, we're all better. Yeah. They were. Mm. I, I asked a couple of kids uh, about that one time who were juniors on varsity at, at Highland High School. And then as seniors, juniors, they played and they were like two and 20 seniors, all the new guys moved in that were stars and they were bench warmers and they won the state championship. I said, which year was more fun winning the title or going two and 20 and playing? They chose the going two and 20 and being on the court. <laughs> yeah which sums up my high school career and is a good place to end this edition of Cardinals Underground.